In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that you will consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to thank you for emailing me a lot of fantastic questions. Y'all are doing just a wonderful job with that for each podcast. I'm going to answer those in just a bit. But let's recap Sunday's 0-0 draw with the New York Red Bulls at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The team wrapped up a long stretch of three games in eight days with just two points, both at home from the three games. And they may have lost midfielders Franco Ibarra, Franco Ibarra and Jurgen Dom to injuries. The team will next play Saturday, July 3rd at Chicago. With Sunday's draw, Atlanta United is winless in its past five and has 12 points from its first 10 games under manager Gabriel Heinze. The total is tied for the team's second fewest in its first five seasons. The team is one point from the seventh and final playoff spot, though. It has scored just 11 goals in 10 games and was shut out in consecutive games for the first time this season. It finished the game with 13 shots, just three on goal, to Red Bulls 7-4, and four, and the announced attendance was 42,575. You can argue that the team looked better in the second half than it has for a, a few games this season, most of a few games this season, but that's really not saying much. I think it just shows how far the bar has been lowered uh, for the team's performance. Um, I know that it was playing its third game in eight days, so was Red Bulls. Um, Brad Guzan was forced into making some really good saves to keep Atlanta United in this game, to keep it from being one to nothing or two to nothing in the first half. So uh, it's really difficult for me to say where this team goes from here. It could get Joseph Martinez back in time um, for Sunday's game against Chicago. The team, I think, is still trying to figure out what the quarantine process is because Joseph, though he's vaccinated, fully vaccinated, did test positive for a strain of COVID while he's with Venezuela's national team. So not they're not sure as of yesterday if he has to go through another quarantine process when he reenters the United States. They're trying to find out, and I hope to have some answers for that for you soon. The team will also get back Ronald Hernandez, who is yet to play a minute, but has played for Venezuela. Um, so I don't know. I, that's a good thing to get him back, but I just don't know if it impacts the team very much. Um, so let's get on to your questions here. And there's quite a few. And I want to remind everyone, these are the questions from the team supporters. So I'm going to read them pretty much as they're written to me. And most of them are kind of are, are negative. But that's okay. I'm going to take a quick coffee sip here. I encourage you to do the same. Oh, that's good stuff. 
All right, let's get going. From Nick. Why did Jackson Conway not go in for Kubo? Kubo clearly isn't producing. Why not give the kid a chance? This is a question that a lot of y'all send to me, and I'm kind of, to be honest with you, I'm kind of over it. Um, I don't decide who goes into the games. It's clear that Gabriel Heinze, he complimented Jackson Conway last week, said he's growing, said he's getting better and better, but he doesn't trust him in game situations yet. The last time he put him in a game, the, he did not mark Jacob Glesnes against Philadelphia, which was a week ag- or more than a week ago, and Philadelphia got the, the tying goal. Uh, that was Conway's responsibility, the striker's responsibility. Um, I tweeted this yesterday, but this reminds me, y'all's desire to see Jackson Conway reminds me of just the fervency in my Twitter timeline of seeing Andrew Carlton and then Florentine Pogba and then Emerson Heinemann and then Eric Lopez and now Conway. Um, I understand you want something different. I, I, I've often said to the other beat reporters, I've, I've written it, I've, I've said it on previous podcasts, when something isn't working, you should try something else. But if Heinze doesn't trust Conway yet, and it seems like he doesn't, then you're just kind of howling at the wind. Um, I don't disagree with you. I think it would be good to get him 15 minutes here or there and kind of work his way back, or at least let him play for the twos. The same from a chop chol now that he's healthy. And Tyler Wolf. Uh, these guys are just it's they're losing valuable minutes in game situations they're not getting. Um, but Heinz has got his job is to try to win. And if he doesn't think those players are yet capable of helping them win, then you know that's his call. Um, it's a tough one. I understand your frustration. I'm sure the players are frustrated. I know Heinz must be frustrated. Um, but that that's just my thinking on that. Um, just you know, don't put so much pressure on him. He, he let's just see what happens. Um, and in Kubo's defense, I know y'all don't like him, and I understand why. He has yet he's only scored one goal in what seventeen or eighteen appearances, but he did get six shots off yesterday. He keeps putting himself in good scoring chances. Eventually, the one's going to go in, and when one goes in, you're likely going to see quite a few. Um, so that's just that's my thought on that. Um, from Chris, will we win another match this season? Yes, you're going to win another match this season. Uh, the team plays at Chicago, the worst team in Major League Soccer, on Saturday at Soldier Field. That's a good opportunity as any. From Travis, this is just simply inexcusable from this club. Three points in the last four games, including two blown two-goal leads, an all-time horrific performance against NYCFC, and being once again allergic to scoring against the New York Red Bulls. I am over, and he put that in all caps, the lack of winning and looking at moral victories, in quotes, in the form of, quote, well, the team didn't play that bad, quote, really? Is that the standard now, just not playing that bad? Sadly, yeah, I think that is kind of the standard. Um, You know, I tried to point out earlier this season, and I I say this on every podcast, that this offense was going to have some trouble even with Joseph. Um, you could see it developing the preseason that particularly against Birmingham, they just weren't getting into scoring opportunities. And I don't know why. Well, I have theories why. Um, and it was going to continue and y'all didn't want to hear, some of you didn't want to hear that. Some of you were like, well, they're still learning Heinz's system. It's a bunch of new players, et cetera, et cetera. Except you would think you would see incremental progress from game to game. And instead you don't. 
and you're not. It's just the same thing. It's the same stuff that was happening under Frank, which and I know most of you don't like Frank DeBoer, but I tried to tell you then some of the issues were Frank's. I think some of the issues were the player composition and some of the issues were players that aren't just as good as I think everyone expected they were going to be. Now I'm going to take a coffee break here real quick. All right. And that's kind of what is happening again this year. But there's still a lot of time. But you've got to start seeing incremental progress. And it's just, it seems like one step forward, two steps back right now. Travis continues in all caps. What do we need to do to fix this? Find a formation that works. And we can talk about that in just a minute. Um, and put the players in the best situations to succeed. Both theoretical things, not you know X's and O's practical stuff, but that's it. Continuing in all caps, Travis says, we yet again do not come close to using all of our subs. I know it's still early, but Heinze looks closer to Frank DeBoer to this point than Tata Martino. I would agree with that um, because that's what the results dictate and the style of play dictates. If we were able to address one position on this team and you had to choose... What position do you address? Need a creative central midfielder who's very, very fast. Um, this team wants to play wide. I know they like to use the mid-channels a lot, but they play so wide and they're so spaced apart most of the time, it makes it very difficult to play quick passes. It makes it very difficult to do anything quickly. Um if you have a very, very quick central midfielder or one who can pick a pass really quickly, that I think would solve a lot of the problems and unlock a lot of defenses. And the team just does not have that right now. Even Emerson Hyman wasn't that guy. He's more of a quick, short passer, not a get-the-ball-turn-go long passer, put, put the ball into space type of guy. All right, now we're moving on to Nick. Two questions. How did you feel about Alan Franco today? Other than his mistake where Guzan saved him, I thought it was fine. My mom would also like to know if you think the finishing would be better with Joseph. All right, well, thanks, Nick. Uh, I thought Franco came in and immediately struggled. He had that awful back pass to nobody that the Red Bulls pounced on first, and Guzan did save him. And then in the second half, he got skinned uh, with a nutmeg, and instead of shooting, uh, the player tried to hit a chip to the back post for some reason. But that could have been two more goals that could be directly tied to Franco. I thought he got better after that. To, to, to be fair to him, he's not playing a lot. And so when he comes on, I'm sure he's super hyped and, and super energized to try to show everybody what he can do. And that often could lead to mistakes. Um, now, kind of, well, we'll get to the formation changes just a little bit. But I thought Franco looked good in the middle of the three center backs. So I'm going to take a coffee sip here. And do I think the finishing will be better with Joseph? Uh, yeah. Well, it can't be a whole lot worse right now. Uh, you would think he would finish one of these chances that, that Kubo gets, and that could be the difference in a win and a draw right now. From Adam. Uh, by all accounts, the offense sparked once Franco, Alan Franco, uh, in place of Franco Ibarra, came in to push Santiago Sosa up, and Mulraney covered the left to push Marino to the right. Should that be the starting 11 formation now until Joseph comes back? Okay, now we're going to talk about the formation change. So when Franco Ibarra came out and Alan Franco came in, Gabriel Hines switched to three center backs. And doing that 
that pushed Santiago Sosa up into Obara's role. So he's playing higher up the field now instead of as a de facto third center back. And it let, allowed the wingbacks, George Bello and Brooks Lennon, to get a little bit higher up the field. That worked really well uh, until Red Bulls switched to a 4-2-2-2, and then they kind of took control of the game. But then fatigue started setting in on them, which is natural because of their pressing style, and Atlanta United started to take control of the game again and had a whole bunch of shots in the final 10 minutes uh, and chances created. I really like, I've always liked kind of a, a 3-5-1-1 or 3-5-2 with Atlanta United's personnel. Uh, this is probably more like a 3-4-3, which I hate, uh, because it just didn't work with this personnel under Frank last year, most of this personnel under Frank last year. Um, but I do think it works. I think it takes advantage of Lennon and Bellow's instincts to get forward. I think having Mulraney on the field, he has the highest uh, plus or minus of anybody on the team, is a, is a benefit because he puts in such good crosses, and he can beat somebody one-on-one, uh, which a lot of the other Atlanta United offensive players can't do. Um, getting Moreno on the right where he's right-footed, I think is much better than having him on the left and cut again because when you're on the left cutting in with your right foot, you're starting to get into spaces that other players could run into. And because Moreno, I know he leads the team in goals, but he's not a goal scorer per se, that's a, that's a problem. Um, so I like this formation. I think Heinze might see it on film. And he said that we started a, a play a way that we want to might see this is working better than the fourth, three, three, first chance we'll see against Chicago. And even even if when Joseph, if Joseph comes back for that game, I think you'll see the formation. Atlanta killed a lot of its own. This is from Adam continuing. Uh, Atlanta killed a lot of its own attacks tonight with poor first touches. And as you've hinted before, the team is struggling with one touch passing and attack. How much of this is a mental thing versus a technical thing that they need to address? Um, yeah, I don't know, but it is really baffling. Um, watched a lot of MLS this weekend, and you see a lot of teams, it's simple one-touch passing, particularly down the wings. Um, Heinze likes the fullbacks, or at least has been the past few games, doing a lot of underlaps with the fullbacks, uh, which makes the one-touch passing a little bit harder because there's more players in the middle of the field than on the outside of the field. Um but you would think that Barco and, and Moreno and some of those guys would be more adept at it, but they just they won't do it. I, I don't know if they're asked not to do it. I, I don't know if it's part of the tactics, but they just won't. And I keep saying this, but anytime you get on the ball and you stand there for a second, it gives the other team opportunities to, to reset the defense. And Barco loves to get the ball on the left and cut all the way across the field. He keeps going, he keeps going, he keeps going until he passes to a wing back or someone finally over on that right side. It's an easy scouting report. You know he's going to do it. He's He's got to vary his game. Um, and going back to your first question, Adam, I like having Sosa higher up the field. I think defensively, I, I wouldn't describe him as a liability, but he's much better going forward. Um, he, he, could, he made a couple of tracking errors yesterday that weren't punished um, defensively. But I, I do like him higher up the field. I, I believe that's why he played at River Plate before he came to Atlanta United. Um, I think he's got a bright future, uh, but especially so if he's playing a little bit higher up the field more as a as a central midfielder than a defensive midfielder. Uh, from Chris, with no details on Miles Robinson's contract, he did sign an extension uh, 
2018 during the no 2019 during the 2019 season. Any chance they sell him to Europe this summer or even as early as this season due to injuries is looking like another potential bust. Talking about the season, not Robinson. I don't want Miles' career to be stifled by the club and end up like Aaron Long with the Red Bulls. Miles Robinson has the potential to be a world's top 20 center back. Uh, Chris continues, MLS offers him nothing further to develop his skill set. He needs to be challenged by better players to get better to see how much better he can get. His improvement this year on the ball and with passing and distribution is obvious. He's ready to move on. The club should make it happen. Uh, see, that that's always a weird thought to me that the club should make it happen. Uh, I'm sure the club would love to turn a profit on Miles Robinson, but it has to get an offer uh, that it deems uh, good. And Darren Eels has said many times that they don't sell just to sell. They sell if the situation is right for the player and for the club. Um, and there's a third trident to that, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Um, I do agree with you. I think Miles is is the best center back in the league. I think he should have won it Defensive Player of the Year two years ago instead of Ike Parra, which was just kind of a sham to me. I think he's much, much better than Walker Zimmerman. Uh, maybe not as good an offensive player, a scoring player, I should say, on set pieces, but he keeps getting in those positions. He had one yesterday that hit the, hit the bar. Um, even Jeff Lorenowitz said yesterday he's the best one-on-one defender he's ever seen, and, and Jeff was in the league for 37 years. Uh, that's a joke. Michael Parkhurst has said Robinson is the best one-on-one defender he's ever seen. Lorenowitz shared a story yesterday about some of their first training sessions um, up at Flowery Branch, and I attended those. They were so cold. They had a kind of a one-on-one contest in which when you got beat, you came out, and nobody could beat Robinson in 30 minutes. Um, and they were like, who is this kid? Uh, I think that you'll see some teams coming for Robinson. The key for me is he needs to go where he's going to play. It can't turn into a Miazga situation uh, where he goes to Chelsea, plays a couple of times, and then just keeps getting loaned and sold and loaned and sold. Like Cameron Carter-Vicker is kind of the same thing. Um, He needs to go where he's in a stable environment and where he plays. Um, To me, that would be a team in Germany, I think, that that commits to younger players, Austria, uh, maybe Belgium, uh, maybe Holland, but they have such restrictions against signing foreign players. But anyway... uh, I don't think the club is going to sell him until he gets an offer. And as of last month, no offers have been made for any of Atlanta United's players. Summer window opens up soon. Summer window in Europe opens up in uh, August, I think I wrote the other day. So we'll see what happens. But great question, Chris. Thank you. Coffee break here real quick as we get to the end of the questions. Uh, another Sean says, we definitely have some good players, but one of them is not Alan Franco. I thought he was a designated player, but Dom makes more money. So who is? Either way, the guy is worthless. Uh, a little harsh. Uh, I think Franco Franco is a designated player. Designated players are determined by adding up the salary, the transfer fee, the agent fees, the bonuses, etc., and amortizing them over the length of the contract. If they exceed, um, just about a round number, like seven hundred thousand, I think it's like six seventy-five. Then they become a designated player. That's why Alan Franco is a designated player, and Jurgen Dom, whose salary was bought down by Tam, 
is not. If you make more than $1.5 million, it might it's probably changed in this recent CBA. It might be a little bit more. You can't be bought down by TAM uh, to not be a designated player anymore. But Franco can be bought down. I don't know what if the team has enough money to add another designated player during the summer window. But they have to get it right, and we're going to address that in another question coming up in just a little bit. Can we now – this is Sean continuing. Can we now say that the Ezekiel Barco signing has failed? A guy should be taking over games. He doesn't come close. Failed is a very harsh word, but it seems like it's closer to failure than success uh, for both Barco and Atlanta United. He really hasn't improved to me as a player. Um, it's the, still the same guy that first played for the club in 2018. You're right, he should be taking over games, and he doesn't. Uh, didn't create a chance yesterday. I don't think had a shot on goal yesterday. I think that's two consecutive games. I'd have to go back and look, so if I'm wrong on that, forgive me. But you get the idea. Um, and I don't know what the issue is. He plays well for Argentina when he goes there. He does not play as well for the club. I don't know if it's a – I don't know what the issues are, so I don't want to speculate what the issues are. But Atlanta United needs him to play well. He needs to play well uh, or play better, I should say. Um, again, there's still 20-something game, 24 games left. Let's see what he can do. Uh, and Sean says Conway needs some minutes. Yeah, we covered that one. Dustin asks, what is the league record for draws in a single season? Do I have the over-under on Atlanta United beating it this year? So I went through the MLS record in fact book, and there's not really a category for most draws, but the most I could find amongst all the various team records was 15 draws by Portland in 2013. Appears to be the most in MLS history. And the way Atlanta United is going, sure, they could very much threaten that record. Um so there you go, Dustin. Thank you. Uh, this is a question uh, on the Twitters and not emailed to me. Uh, and again, if you want to tweet at me, it's at Doug Robertson AJC. Or you could try to send me a question on Facebook, but for sometimes my Facebook uh, Atlanta United News Now page gets screwy when it comes to messages. So it's probably easier just to put them on Twitter or send them to me at, on email at drobertson at AJC.com. In your opinion, during this transfer window... Which Atlanta United players should we move on from and which positions or players do we want to see to bring in to provide depth um, or provide a starter? Uh, I think a a creative attacking midfielder is the way to go. Uh, The team could put Emerson Hyman on the season-ending injury list, which opens up a roster spot. It doesn't open up cash, and there's a cap on how much they could spend on the player that comes in. So finding that player, I think, is going to be very, very difficult. It would have to be almost like a Lissandro Lopez situation again, where it's somebody who is kind of curious about MLS at the end of a career maybe, or someone who's just out of contract uh, for whatever reason with their club and is just looking for some playing time. Um, that's that's where I would go. Follow up, watch your confidence level that the front office can pull it off. They could pull off the signing. I don't know if the player they'll get will be impactful. And that's kind of why Atlanta United is in the situation it's in. Um, and we've covered that many, many times. It's going to be interesting. If the team doesn't improve uh, incrementally, exponentially, uh, the remainder of the season, what this next offseason is going to look like. 
And let's see if we have any more questions from you lovely Atlanta United supporters. Um, I don't see any on the Twitters. I don't see any in my emails. So we're going to wrap up this Southern Fried Soccer. Again, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Atlanta United and Red Bulls, 0-0. Atlanta United with six draws this year. They're 2-2-6, 11 goals scored in 10 games. Y'all take care. Please consume the other content being produced by all the other fine people who cover Atlanta United, the guys at Dirty South, uh, soccer down here, um, Sempre United, um, uh, all, all of them. Um, and we'll talk to y'all later. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,